Although the characters we discuss are fictional, the challenges people face every day are not. The information we provide in this podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only and should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you are struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help. Thanks for listening and welcome to the Jedi Council Podcast, where we explore mental health in your favorite fictional characters. Hey folks, welcome back to the next episode of the Jedi Council Podcast. This is Brandon Saxton. And Katie Gordon. How are you doing today, Katie? I'm doing great. It's five degrees in Fargo. Oh yeah, so I went outside today and a little a little bit of my skin blew off. That's how cold the wind <laughs> was. It, it was really weird. It's tough because it was 40 degrees, what, two mm, days ago? Yes. And I was like, I got wow. a car wash <laughs> today and that would not have been a possibility. And now, it, now it's, it's back to very cold. Well, I'm... I'm excited about our guest, mm-hmm. regardless of the cold, but before we get to him, I want to ask how you're doing. No, I'm doing really good. Um, also, seriously though, not to just return to the weather, but it's <laughs> been really bizarre because it's been a strange winter here in North Dakota where we had like a, like one day where I, I missed work because it was so bad and like clinics were closing and schools were closing. And then it was like in the 40s, and then now today it's back. Like I think it was two when I left for work today. So very bizarre. And um, but I will say, despite that, my mood is pretty good because it feels like there's been more sun, yeah. and and I like that. Oh, I, I, like I, to just I like that too. Sit outside and let that icy cold fog of air just <laughs> just rip through my clothes, but I uh, just soak up as much of that vitamin D as I can. And so I'll, with that being said, I'm doing really good. <laughs> Well, um, shall we talk to our guest about the weather there? Let's do it. Let me introduce Welcome him real to the quick first. <laughs> so, Dr. Leonardo Bobadilla is our special guest. This is his third time on Jedi Council, Unreal. which is the most we've Woo. ever had someone on the show. Yeah. yeah, we're really excited about that. He's a clinical psychologist interested in psychopathy, antisociality, and aggression broadly defined. He received his PhD in clinical psychology from Florida State University, which is where I met him and we became friends. Currently, he's the director of the forensic track in the School of Graduate Psychology at Pacific University in Oregon. And he there he pursues interest in integrating research and clinical practice as it pertains to the reduction of human aggression. I read most of that from his blog, which I'll definitely link to. It's very good. It's called The Aggression Blog, Using Science to Reduce Violence. It's, it's The whole goal is to take research and make it accessible to people. So, Leo, welcome to the show, and how's the Thank weather you. where you are? Well, it is uh, Portland, Oregon, beautiful. So it's uh, we get a lot of liquid sunshine, as we call it, and it'll be going on until, I don't know, um, June, January. <laughs> And it'll be, you know, 50 cent rainy for the next foreseeable, for the foreseeable future. So, yeah, it's beautiful. Just the way we like it. Well, that sounds pretty good. That does but, sound yeah, no, good. No skin falling off. Oh. <laughs> it's not the best, but it's my reality. So, Leo came up with the idea for this show. And I, we, Brandon and I were really excited about it because we really like The Office. We've done blog posts three, I think, on three mm-hmm. different characters. At least. On Kelly, Dwight, and Michael. Mm-hmm. And then we also have done some episodes about mm-hmm. The Office before and certainly mentioned it before. And well, now I feel like a jerk because I, I've only, I have not kept up with the, the blogs, but now I need to look up the Kelly and Mike. Because you did, you did blog, blog posts on Kelly as well. 
Yes. Because I saw the one with Michael. Yes, Kelly and Dwight. Don't don't worry about it. these are no. these are from long ago. But today we're gonna focus on narcissism and kind of how it presents in three different characters, Michael, Andy, and Ryan. I did a little poll through Twitter among those three characters to see who people liked the best, and Michael was the clear winner of those three. <laughs> He would sense. not be surprised. And Michael would be very happy to know <laughs> that. <laughs> Andy wouldn't be very happy. <laughs> no, it wouldn't be good. So I thought that what we could do, I thought we could talk about some of the definitions of narcissism because there are kind of different ways that it's used commonly kind of by the public and then ways that it's used in research and then ways that it's used clinically. So maybe we could start off talking about that. So... Uh, first, I want to talk about where the word narcissism and comes from, which is from Greek mythology. This is from the Encyclopedia Britannica online. Ooh, I want to cite my very source. Very luxurious. <laughs> so in Greek mythology, the son of the river god, Sophisus, if I'm pronouncing that wrong, that feel right. free to let me know. Is it Sisyphus? It's not Sisyphus. It's not Sisyphus. But it's Sophisus. <laughs> which oh, na- nailed it. <laughs> well... I don't know if I'm saying it right, but it's spelled differently than Sisyphus, unless it's just a different, unless it's an alternative spelling. <laughs> that would be interesting if Sisyphus what gave birth to Narcissus. But, um, and and the nymph Liriope, which I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right either. And Narcissus was distinguished for his beauty. According to Ovid's Metamorphoses, book three, Narcissus' mother was told by the blind seer Teresius, that he would have a long life provided he never recognized himself. However, his rejection of the love of the nymph Echo, or in an earlier version of the young man Manius, I need to consult someone for pronunciation next time, <laughs> drew upon him the vengeance of the gods. He fell in love with his own reflection in the waters of a spring and pined away. In some versions, he actually killed himself because he couldn't be with the person he fell in love with, which was his reflection. And then a flower sprung up where he died, and there is a flower named after Narcissus. So that's kind of the the background for it. But what are what do you hear, Leo, as some of the public understandings or cultural uses of narcissism and narcissistic? You know, I think um, narcissism has been one of those terms that in the past 10 years has really come to the fore in pop culture and pop psychology. And I I haven't looked today, but I can assure you that if you go to Psychology Today, one of the top five articles from today, it has to do with some of the narcissism. So I think a lot of the pop culture and in the general culture, um, the the, uh, definition has evolved. It used to be more what people thought about it would be a person who is basically what the definition from the Greek mythology was. Like a person was in love with themselves and they were very, um, very full of themselves. But... I think more, more and more, um, the, defini- the, the, the definition in the general culture is starting to more reflect what the literature and the psychological literature um, reflects, which is this construct that is um, made up of multiple things. So grandiosity, uh, grandiosity, uh, inflated sense, sense of self-esteem, uh, entitlement, exploitation of others, in addition to um, Callous, well, not necessarily callousness, but lack of empathy for others or either through kind of uh, just lack of actual caring or being so um, self-centered that the person just doesn't realize other people's feelings. Um, I, yeah, I think that would be about 
that's about right. Um, and uh, when we think about the, well, I'm going to stop right there for a second. How about that? Okay. Well, so yeah, that thank you. That's interesting that to think that the public is kind of using and the researcher aligning that doesn't always happen. I think that's that's really interesting. And you you named a lot of kind of the the features of narcissism. And in the clinical world, there's an actual narcissistic personality disorder, according to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders. And in that, they list nine symptoms. And for someone to meet criteria for it, they have to have at least five of those symptoms. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, it's overall a pervasive pattern of grandiosity, like Leo said, which is they exaggerate their achievements and talents, or they expect to be recognized as superior without commensurate achievements. Commensurate. That one I, I know how to pronounce. Um, <laughs> preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. I think of Kylo Ren a little bit mm -hmm. with that one. and. Um, a belief that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood by or should associate with other special or high-status people or institutions. And a need for excessive admiration, which Leo talked about. And then Leo mentioned entitlement, which is defined as unreasonable expectations of especially favorable treatment or automatic compliance with his or her expectations. And... Um, Leo also mentioned a lack of empathy, which is kind of you're unwilling to identify with the feelings and needs of others, and and also exploitative behaviors was mentioned. And an example of that would be taking advantage of others to achieve your own ends, envy of others, or a belief that others are envious of him or her, and a demonstration of arrogant and haughty behaviors or attitudes. And I feel like those that kind of behavioral arrogance is when you will hear people in just casual settings describe someone as narcissistic and so I, I agree with you Leo it seems and haven't there been some studies that people are pretty good at identifying narcissism by looking at like I don't know social media profiles or videos or something yeah that's that's that's, that's really interesting a lot of um, you know the number of selfies that a person has in their Facebook profile uh, and the type of pictures that they take and people's uh, ability to you know, the correlation between a person's decision on how self-centered a person may be to that person's own ratings of their own self-centeredness. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good, really good summary there. Should I start deleting all my hundreds and hundreds of selfies then <laughs> to, to impression Only manage better? Only the ones in which you have so just duck lips and okay. just kissy, kissy face of the camera. Okay, all it'll take a few hours, but I'm on it. <laughs> okay, so very good practical advice from Liam. So... <laughs> I guess moving on to the next thing, could, would you mind telling us, you linked us to some great review articles, which I'll link to in our show notes, but can you tell us about the distinction between normal and pathological narcissism? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of important distinctions for the construct, and the one is uh, that narcissism has been looked at from both the clinical psychology literature and the social psychology literature. So social psychology literature has, um, in general, looked more at the, the function of narcissism uh, as it, in larger groups and in a non-pathological way in the, in the larger population, whereas the clinical literature has looked more at uh, the description of those um, symptoms that you just described from the DSM. But I think that the literature, and a lot of the literature from clinical psychology has informed itself from the social psychology literature, and looking at that nexus in between, at that point in which narcissistic traits, and maybe we, it's better to think about 
narcissism as, as the underlying traits that uh, that form it. Um, and because some of these traits can be and are adaptive. So a lot of the literature shows through various measures of uh, narcissism. And one of the, the ones that has been most researched is the narcissistic personality inventory is finding that some of the through factor analysis that this measure shows that there are aspects of narcissism that are captured by it. And depending on the factor analysis, but in general, there are some things like leadership authority, uh, vanity, uh, and self-admiration, but also entitlement and exploratoriness and grandiosity. Uh, and these traits tend to, although they coalesce under the measure, they have tend to have different correlates. And some researchers have observed that some of those tend to have more negative aspect or more negative correlates. So, for example, entitlement and exploitativeness tends to be more often associated with things like manipulativeness uh, and in some cases with more introversion and negative affect like anger and depression. Whereas um, other, other narcissistic traits like leadership and authority are actually associated with positive outcomes. Uh, like social surgency and positive emotions, like being extroverted and actually liking being around people rather than using, you know, like being around people because you want to have admiration towards you and you need them around, but not necessarily because you enjoy them. So that that, that kind of weaving um, of the straight between the point in which, and you, I know you guys have talked about dimensional models of personality in the show before, that point in which kind of the normal traits and you, we, can, we can think of all of us have to some degree some levels of narcissism, but we can perhaps think of normative aspects of self-esteem, right? So when you have average, good, normal self-esteem, that's a good thing. You want to like yourself who you are and to a degree have a belief on yourself. But it's whenever you start, you know, whenever those traits are exaggerated or out of step with the reality of who you are, then it starts bordering or crossing into pathological narcissism and then within pathological narcissism there's this further bifurcation into grandiose versus vulnerable and that ties a little bit more to the again or ties again back to literature looking at um factor analysis of various measures of person of and of narcissistic personality and looking at um, correlates that include for things like, as I mentioned, entitlement and exploitativeness, that it often is associated with things like hypersensitivity to, crit to criticism and willingness to react negatively to that criticism and often counter-attack uh, counter uh, to being be very vigilant about uh, other people's talking about them. Whereas grandiose narcissism is associated more with this kind of this obliviousness and thinking that you're great. That's helpful to understand that distinction and for vulnerable narcissism am i recalling correctly that there's been some suggestion that like the measures for that like the hypersensitivity scale are, are highly correlated with higher levels of neuroticism or negative affect that's exactly right yeah that is correct so um and uh, in the public in the clinical literature uh i like the there's a description of um the the vulnerable narcissism kind of being the closet narcissist versus the one that is kind of more outside and yeah those measures of hypersensitivity and need for admiration and, and oh and a fluctuating sense of self-esteem so what you see with this vulnerable narcissist is that you see this self-esteem that is uh inflated but not just inflated but also um very susceptible to outside so the person is always seeking just validation from others and if they don't receive it then they get depressed and anxious and then they engage in efforts to try to get further validation in order to pump up their their ego if you will 
uh, and yeah, and it is and it tends to be associated when you look at um, factor analysis, it tends to be associated with more negative emotions like introversion. So Aaron Pincus has done a lot of work in subtypes of narcissism and made this kind of distinction between grandiose narcissism being associated more with extroversion and positive emotions, whereas uh, vulnerable narcissism is associated more with introversion um, and avoidant personality disorder and anxiety, social anxiety, which is an interesting, it's an interesting paradox in which the, the person needs the approval of others and craves it, but at the same time, uh, maybe too socially anxious and very worried about what other people will think about them. So just constantly asking for other people's reinforcement while also being afraid of, uh, of negative judgment. Oh yeah, that's that's a, that sounds like a difficult mixture, especially since my guess is that some of the grandiose traits or characteristics could be perceived positively like you talked about and, and people, especially upon first meeting them, might right. get positive feedback of their impressions, whereas if someone is more on the vulnerable end, they might not have as good of an impression because they don't have the extroversion and high positive affect. Yeah, and that's... Positive that's, mood, I should say. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, that's an interesting part is that a lot of, sometimes the grandiose owners, they make really good impressions on the first time people tend to really like them because they're very engaging and outgoing and fun. But after a while, they kind of just tend to wear a lot of the experimental data looking at um, people who are hiring grandiose narcissism, you know, having them interact with other subjects, and they have them through multiple lab sessions. By you know, by session three, people in the group are like, "Oh my god, this person is just a little too much." Um, so yeah, which brings us to Michael Scott. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I really like the um, the quote that you sent us that kind of captures him. Brandon, will you do your best Michael Scott impression? Yeah, it's not going to be good. It's going to be kind of through the lens of just my voice, but here we go. Uh, so it is a goodie. Uh, do I need to be liked? Absolutely not. I like to be liked. I enjoy being liked. I have to be liked. But it's not like a compulsive need to be liked. I like my need to be praised. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Thank you. That actually was a really good reading. I, it took me there. I was there. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Um, what a scene and what a character, right? It, it's so good because it it, it, it manages to capture, in that quote, he manages to capture uh, the essence of narcissism. It's not just about being liked, but also just praise. And they have the, they have this pathological need to be liked and also, but just to a degree that they need to be praised. And he, in, in a very kind of thoughtless, narcissistic kind of way, he just lets it all out. Which, in a way, is kind of a part of the charm of Michael, I have to say, is that he is unabashedly, but also completely just unaware of how he comes across uh, when he just must need the, needs to be the center of attention at all times. It kind of, it makes him endearing in a way, because you can kind of, well, sometimes, because it's kind of transparent what he's doing. <laughs> Other times, it's not as endearing. But there are these moments that they do with the show where you sympathize with him, like when, um, what was that TV show he was on called Bundle Bundle? Yes. And do do you want to do Bundle an impression Bundle. of the quote? I don't remember the exact <laughs> I, I quote. No, I don't remember the exact quote either, but it's... <laughs> when he wanted yes, to so no one could ever say no to spending oh, time with yeah, him, I think. Yeah, yeah, and you're like, that's really sad to oh, see yeah. a kid say that. So it's like you get some of that. And I have to, like, our most viewed blog post is our 
fictional diagnostic report of Michael Scott. People have a lot of interest in him as a character. I think because of how many seasons there were, they really developed them. <laughs> and also, you know, I think... That's right. Like, Leo, maybe you could talk about... I mean, one thing we see is some change over mm-hmm. time, right? Which some people don't think would happen. Yeah, I was tying to exactly what you were saying. Like, they develop his character. But the arch of his character is, is great. Because you really do, from season one, in which he is just star for attention, he wants to show it to everybody he's the best, you know, the world's greatest boss, uh, and trying to do that. And you go through this evolution, you know, through, that Michael goes through these trials and tribulations um, until he, the, the parts, the things that make him, what was interesting to me, and I think I mentioned it in the, that summary that we sent you earlier, that, uh, that, that makes him... A compelling um, portrait of narcissism is that the aspects of narcissism, kind of talking to you know how some of these aspects of narcissism can be adaptive, is that one of the reasons that he he wants to be really liked by others, but then he makes a point to really get to know other people in order to know what to talk to them about in order to elicit praise or something from them. But then he really he really does care for them. He's not unlike you know it, I would I would not give him that it, I would I would not give him that um, that symptom from the DSM, the the shows the likes of empathy, likes empathy. I think he sometimes very thoughtlessly does things to hurt other people's feelings. Like um, <laughs> when makes he Felix makes Phyllis cry because he, uh, he wanted to be Santa Claus and then she was going to be Santa Claus, and um, he that was kind of just thoughtless impulsivity. But it's not necessarily that he doesn't care about people's feelings. He really does feel bad afterwards, and when he realizes that he screwed up something, then he goes and apologizes. So that that makes up for it. Um, it kind of takes you through the adaptive qualities of, of narcissism as well, if you want to think about it. And I, I was actually watching the um, the episodes whenever he decides to do the Michael Scott Company. And one of the things that we, we tend to think of, that I think are adaptive of narcissism is that we, you have to have a certain level of belief on yourself in order to take risks and in order to you know do things that are out of your comfort zone. And so when Michael um, decides that you know, he's you know that the that the company's not respecting him enough, and he's going to just go ahead and start his own company, and he doesn't even just out of impulsive uh, sheer self confidence um, that he can do it, and then you know very quickly thereafter he kind of has has a meltdown with, in front of Pam, and by fits and starts of overconfidence and lack of confidence, overconfidence, lack of confidence, kind of makes it happen, and and I think that's what makes him relatable is that we all had been into in, in at some point in our life in which we've had like seeing like I'm gonna do this I can do it and then once you're in the middle of it you're like oh I have made a horrible horrible mistake but now I gotta kind of unscrew myself out of it and somehow make it out uh, and he with Pam and Ryan kind of muddle through it and, and make it and I again it shows one of the, the those times in which he functions mo- better as a as a as a leader is when he's having that essentially a war with Dwight and Ryan is like, you know, wow, look at that old man at Rodex go. And he's just trying to schmoozing the, the clients and he's able to relate to them, talking mm-hmm. about their kids. And he has their Rolodex with cards with details about each client. And then when he's de- negotiating with um, uh, Wallace uh, for the buyout of uh, the Michael Scott company, he, um, you know, Michael Wallace, David Wallace is like, you know, you're going to be out of business pretty soon. And he's like, you know, I don't care. My company is worth nothing. And that's the point. I can do it this a hundred times. And instead, what I need to do is wait you, you know, wait you out. And I'll, you know, I'll just wait for you to be voted out CFO. And 
shows a, a level of mastery in this way that he just can you see those flashes in him sometimes when he can do that um and it's it's really good yeah, that, you know that's a great point that one because he is not a competent manager in a number of ways but it's clear that he was good at sales and that's kind of how he got into that position right. and you really see that early on when he and jan take the client and he wants to go to chili's and she's oh like, God, that's that's terrible my favorite idea. and then he starts telling jokes and like Jan's kind of like cringing, but it works. <laughs> I mean, the, because the, um, the, the client likes him. And so he does business with them and, and Jan is kind of impressed by that, which unfortunately that relationship, the arc of that relationship <laughs> takes a real bad turn. Maybe we could talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. I, that, that's, uh, to me, almost, that's like a sort of mating at, at work right there. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> Jen is, uh, is an interesting, whenever she says that she's the princess as and the queen, she uh, she really is. And she has this, uh, well, I mean, she goes, well, whatever. She, we, we don't have to go delve into Jen today. So much personality in the office character. Honestly, <laughs> I really, I, do, I have to give so much credit to the writers of the office because they really managed, they obviously are very keen observers of people and they obviously have worked with different people. But if, if, if you've spent any time in corporate America, I think we've all been around those kind of characters in which a person may have this uh, either a facade or a real sense of confidence about them, them but then a, a personal crisis occurs and things just go completely haywire for them, uh, and they take a, a huge hit to their to their ego, like Jane did. But then they, you know, she managed to recover. And Michael, God bless him, he just, you know, all he just wants is to be able to have a, you know, like what he said, a family and his mm-hmm. kids. And he is willing to put up with Jan's abuse, possibly, yeah, physical and maybe sexual. We don't know. Yeah, it sounds like it. When he goes to the, have, I think he has goes to have lunch with the women in the yeah, office to the mall. Yeah, yeah, what was the occasion that was for? Uh, I think he offers to buy them all something from the mall. Oh, I don't yes. remember exactly the context he of why he's lingerie. Going to yeah, I don't yeah. remember why, but I, I, yeah, he essentially reveals that you know he talks about the the schoolgirl fantasy, and Karen's like, yeah, it's a pretty common one. He goes, yeah, but. What if I don't want to wear the outfit? <laughs> yeah. Right, right. That's, but as they talk, like, it actually is revealed that Jant is, like, rec- videoing them having sex yeah, and then playing it yeah. back and critiquing. And they're like, that's not okay. Yeah. And, like, it does not occur to him mm. at all. And it's actually one of those sincere moments in the show where they're, like, regardless of the things Michael has done, they see some good in him and they want yeah. to point out, like, you're in a in an unhealthy relationship and that is yeah, not to her normal credit whenever whenever he declares you know he declares bankruptcy he doesn't say it he declares it <laughs> yeah <laughs> he he um you know he runs away and he's in the train mm-hmm. um she comes to him and 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 then tells him like you know the only person who's you know she has been a mess you know she talks about prescription pill problems she had and all the stuff and the, the one person who stood by her has been him no matter what, even after her family disowned her, apparently, and he he sticks by her. So that I think that's what it that the Michael's arch is that he goes from being self-centered, wanting to be liked, but there's there's not an he's not mean. He really do, does want good things for other people as long as he's the center of attention and and he's being um, told that he's great. And then his his character continues to develop. Through his, you know, through all of the, you know, through his bankruptcy and through his company, 
until he meet until he meets uh oh good grief i'm forgetting his eventual wife's holly. name holly yeah holly god all the all the now you're gonna get a lot i'm gonna get a lot of hate for forgetting holly <laughs> yeah and we're gonna holly... post your post your uh, <laughs> phone number so people can call you directly to complain <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Holly really um, just puts that that you know it, it, it marks the the ultimate point in which he just realizes that he can just he found his other half. There's somebody like him, him, and he doesn't need to be worrying about getting other people's approval all the time. If he can just pour all of his attention on on her, which is great. So if you if we had to sum up Michael, would you say he seemed to have some. Yes. Both grandiose and vulnerable characteristics. Yeah, you know, and if we go back to the um, to dimensional models of, of psychopathology, I think I think I I well I think the data may suggest that a vulnerable and grandiose. If we're thinking of uh, narcissism, that maybe vulnerable and grand, and grandiose also lie on that dimension, and he's kind of somewhere in the middle. He, there's definitely that very unstable. Uh, fluctuating self-esteem that he has um like when he gets roasted and you know, again he wants to get roasted because he thinks everybody's going to give him funny jokes about him and he's going to be you know masked adulation but in reality they really come after him so so i think he's somewhere in between i would i would more i would tend more towards the vulnerable but he does have a little bit of a grandiose because he is not a wall i mean he's not a wallflower whenever he goes he goes to the the stockholder meeting, he, you know, he plans mm -hmm. the whole time, you know, is he going to do a twirl? Is he going to, you know, what, is, how is he going to present himself to, to the, to the audience, to the stockholder company? So he's not an introvert by any means. He does have the, the, the outside charm is necessary for sales and makes him successful at it. But he also has the extreme hypersensitivity of a vulnerable narcissist. Oh, Interesting. Yeah, his yeah. blues cruise dancing is one of my favorite mm -hmm. scenes, actually. <laughs> but you couldn't really watch several years of someone never having no. anything redeeming. <laughs> yeah, and right, that's exactly right. Yeah, you could, and and that's the thing. It's in almost in every episode, Michael does something that is horrible, and then goes on to redeem himself. Mm -hmm. So either apologize or does something incredibly heartwarming for somebody, like he did for Pam or with Jim at the, at the booze cruise. I mean, the reason. He ended up in that because because he had to just be the center of attention and who could not expect the fact you know the, the he had to be the captain and then try to um, he gets zip tied to mm -hmm. the to the mast <laughs> basically uh, <laughs> after he tries to deliver his sales analogy and uh, Jim is just heartbroken about Pam getting engaged. And he's like, I, and I and delivers one of the lines that I do have to admit, I like, I've, I've not told myself, but I'm like, you know, really, you never, never, ever, ever give up. And that is Michael, when he really wants something, he doesn't give up on the Michael Scott company. He doesn't give up on, uh, on you know, to his own fault, to his detriment, on the people that he loves and likes. The one just sort of random thing I was thinking about is how his, how he is this like pretty talented salesperson but it doesn't translate over the phone i thought that was kind of yeah. interesting when he kind of takes that night position as a like telemarketing mm -hmm. and but he cannot sell anything mm -hmm. over the phone so I, I just think there's something interesting about his 
interpersonal style doesn't translate mm-hmm. for sales over the phone. And also, I've been laughing to myself ever since Leo mentioned the Rolodex and how he <laughs> highlighted something green to remind himself to go ahead and not mention it. <laughs> or go ahead and shout about it. Orange is orange. You glad you didn't bring it up? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's all I have. No, that's a, the, those are great. One of the things about Annie that you mentioned is that it it kind of might represent um, a particular theory of how narcissism comes about. So, Brandon, would you mind <laughs> delivering the Andy Bernard quote that reflects this? Yeah, and th- this one is fun because I actually say it relatively often in my own <laughs> life, too, because I think it's so funny. So, this is the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. I've not had a very hard life. <laughs> yeah. Andy, Andy's also, yeah, so I think that, I think of both Andy and and Michael as almost the complete syndrome almost um andy is a, is a different it's like very closely related uh and i that not surprisingly that's why he, i guess probably chosen as the manager uh after michael leaves is because he has the same like his desire to be liked and um be the center of attention is strong but it's it's to a different level in that he also des- kind of craves fame and that is a that is a common motif among people who are Narcissist, the kind of uh, uh, always fantasizing about power and oh, the power or uh, ideal love and money, etc. And that he's always fantasizing about that, and also this desire to always be um, associated and be thought of um, special and unique, and associated with um, institutions or things that are uh, perceived to be of high stature whether it be Cornell or the Finer Things Club. Could you tell us a little bit about that theory or model for narcissism? Yeah, so a, a lot of the narcissism literature has been kind of geared towards uh, adults, but there's also developmental literature looking at, you know, where do how, how do these people look like when they're younger, where might they come from? So Milan, uh, Theodore Milan has a lot of, uh, he's a kind of classic personality theorist for a while and he has the Milan the MCMI but he and other people have proposed that one of the reasons that people become narcissistic is because they receive uh, tons of praise or too much praise as children without really having uh, something to back it up if you will or people who are extremely privileged and don't really have to very work very hard for things and don't experience failure all of a sudden as they grow up uh, and life gets a little bit harder it is difficult for them to accept that they are not indeed the best as they've been told the whole time uh, or that they can have anything they want without any effort. And then it comes kind of this vulnerable narcissism uh, injury. So I, I think that in that way, Andy captures those developmental theories pretty well. And there's some data to suggest that that is the case. And there's also data that suggests that the opposite side of the spectrum is also it's also true that uh, children who experience hard, you know, harsher upbringings tend to have higher narcissistic traits and you can go into you know down the line onto why might it be the case and maybe it's developed as a, as a coping mechanism for a harsh mechanism that you have to kind of pump yourself up when the world is telling that you're terrible uh, and of course that's difficult to test and it, um, but without going too much farther down on that the idea is that Andy kind of does capture that very the, the archetype of the narcissist that becomes that way because he has had such an easy life that has been told he's been great at everything. Everything's kind of handed to him. And granted, he probably is a smart man as, as it is. But in addition to that, he's had a very, a very easy 
Easy Life as, as his relatives apparently are heavy donors to Cornell. So he ends up going there. He does like he does work hard, but he's very much focused on attention. And he when he tries to <laughs> when this is in the later seasons, but then when Flop and uh, what's the other guy's name Dwight Junior. <laughs> <laughs> they call Dwight Jr. He's trying to hit on Eric, tried to get her to get her to come to his house, basically, to do a fake uh, a newscast. Then Andy comes along, and then he makes it all about himself and trying to make it. And it's like, oh, yep, we got it. We got the shot. And he's like, no, I think I got one more. And he just keeps trying to keep working himself in the middle of uh, of that uh, of the attention. He has to be associated with everything. So the constant. Uh, Cornell name dropping, trying to get into the Finer Things Club, no matter what. But nonetheless, he he's also like Michael. He does care about the people of around him, even if it's a little stilted and a little kind of in, in a very elitist elitist kind of way. He still uh, does have his moments, and like when Oscar, when they go to Winnipeg, and he and uh, he may, <laughs> tries to be a wingman for Oscar. Uh, and they tend to bond. They bond over the fact that Angela. And again, he puts up with Angela's abuse basically because he's like, "Oh, this is the person that I want," and I. Uh, and and he puts up with a lot, including you know being um, you know being cuckolded, as he put uh, as he puts it, and ridiculed in front of the in in front of the in front of the office. And but and 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 notably, he does have his narcissistic injury whenever it occurs he's very quick to lose his temper and pretend that he's not angry so like when they do, when michael is trying to well he punches a wall very few everything after uh jim prints a prank on him and puts his phone away in, in the ceiling oh yeah he makes the ringtone mm-hmm. like the acapella, the acapella. it's his phone but he yeah. can't the, find it yeah what's right. his acapella group called not uh, the door broccoli re- robs in it I, I'm oh. confused because it's the door. There's the Doremigos, which is the one that Dwight wanted to join whenever he yeah. uh, <laughs> go to. It is the oh my god, we're gonna get so much hate fan, uh, fan mail. From... Yeah, this is just embarrassing now. <laughs> oh my god! But but sorry, you were saying uh, the, the the important part is how he reacts to the, the re- yeah, yeah. <laughs> punches a wall. He does it twice, but he he gets very, and he pretends he's like no, nope, not angry, and then just like throws a stone at a mallard or a oh. duck. During that, uh, the company picnic, when it loses. Here comes trouble. Here by the comes way. trouble. Class of '96. Oh my. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So he <laughs> he really does care for people. It's just that as long as he's recognized as the elite, smarter kind of guy that he is, who knows the better things in life, I guess. Yeah, because after Jim and Pam announced that they're dating, he's like, J- guess who just became the best-looking single guy in the office? <laughs> <laughs> See, but he, at least he knows that he, <laughs> even though he's still deluded, he, at least he knows his, his order, a little bit of his order and that he's pecking order, That's true. He, yeah, he has some, some insight. He has a little bit of, yeah. <laughs> the, the other thing that is kind of becomes this tension between Dwight and Andy is that he sucks up to Michael so much mm. 
that actually Michael doesn't even like it. Like, as much as Michael wants to be liked, he's like, I once had, he doesn't he say, like, I once had my butt kissed and I did not like it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. His mom was giving him a raspberry. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. And he turned around yeah. and kissed his butt. So Andy's, like, way like over it. the top with this stuff. Like, you know, which is... I guess sweet, but not really, because it comes across as not sincere. Yeah. Extremely kiss up. Yeah, yeah and, and it was just irrational. And the desire that he needed to be number two. So there's men. So he immediately had to, uh, you know, in his in his mind, figure out what the pecking order was, so he could be immediately be number two. And when he realized that Dwight was already there, then immediately as, uh, uh, adopts this very hostile attitude towards him and tries to sabotage him yeah exactly he tries to start rumors about like how <laughs> bad dwight's performance is they shrewded it they, yeah they shrewded it. That's, <laughs> that, that's what it was yeah so that's so it's interesting because ultimately what happens with andy right is that he gets attention because that youtube video goes viral of mm-hmm. him breaking down right. during an audition yes. and he's humiliated and he hates it and it's actually really bad for him mm-hmm. so and to his credit, and again, to his credit, he delivers what I, I, I consider is one of the, and I'm going to botch it, but one of the better quotes of the of the show. There's many. But in the last episode, he, he says something along the lines of, I wish I knew, uh, yeah, I wish you knew when that you were in the good old days or something like that. When, ah, no, Katie, would you mind looking it up? I am so I sorry. I actually tweeted it out today as Wednesday Wisdom because I remember you quoting that to me before, once when we were reminiscing about grad school and grad how much school. it fit. I mean, that really yeah, like, took me there. Yeah. Oh my God, yes. Because it was, um, I wish you knew you were in the good old days before you left them. There you go. That's it. And that and that is that is Andy for you. So he kind of does have a very poignant aspect to him. I don't know why he cannot get him stuff together with Aaron. Um, and of course, you know, he could... He, 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 he was in overly chivalrous and overly winning, but he could not make the first move for some reason. And then eventually when he actually had her, he then got distracted by other things instead of unlike Michael, who realized that he had a good thing in front of him and then went forward and moved to Colorado. And he does not mature in that, in that aspect, but he does show some growth in, in, in his, in his character. Same thing when his family had, had, um, you know, when family went bankrupt, he kind of just took charge of the situation and was on top of things uh, at, at that moment of crisis. Exactly. Well, I wonder if we should make sure we have time to talk about Ryan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've yeah, got yeah. another quote that, thank you, Brandon. I didn't ask oh. Brandon before recording, so the pressure is on. Would no, you I mind can't. reading this Ryan Howard? I can't wait. I'm happy to do it. <laughs> uh, people keep calling me a wonderkin. I don't even know what that means. I I mean, I know what it means. It means very successful for your age. So I guess that makes sense, but uh, it's a weird word. Very good. And I think is he? Re- I think he may be recording that while he's sitting in someone else's office yeah. too. I think yeah. because someone it's a comes great in. View. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So he's someone who we see changes in, but they're kind yeah. of not like. A trajectory that's on upward no. <laughs> consistently. He has a, re- a reverse, a reverse arc <laughs> that Michael yeah. and Andy had. Which, which in and of itself is interesting, right? They make the temp become the wonderkind <laughs> boss guy, but then ultimately he makes this plan. He's gonna right bring 
technology into Dunder Mifflin. And when it doesn't work out, he starts cheating Mm -hmm. to make it work because he can't let go of it. He can't be embarrassed. He can't be wrong. And then he gets in trouble for fraud and fired. And arrested. And arrested. So (laughs) it's not great. (laughs) It's not how we planned. Yeah. That exact trajectory kind of captures a little bit of the, the perils of grandiose narcissism is that you start believing your own, or you, I mean, persons with grandiose narcissism, they start kind of believing their own hype and believing that they can get away with more things that are involved in that, that very entitled attitude and grandiose that you can do a lot of things. And it reminds me of people who have a gift and we've, we, I know we've talked about this before, uh, but people who have like uh, either a gift on arts or in uh, sports and then all of a sudden the world tells them that they in fact are indeed great and fantastic and they can and let's start get letting them get away with things that other people otherwise wouldn't then you start cutting corners in a way that ultimately is going to be self-defeating and i catch you uh, it's going to you know bite you in the butt as it does to ryan um and at the beginning of the series he's very he's kind of just unassuming and he just basically wants to get his degree and he just disappear from there but you start seeing flashes of ryan's um exploitativeness definitely with, with his relationship with kelly in which you know he he makes the mistake of hooking up with her before valentine's office and she you know she's not she's very obvious about the fact that she wants a serious relationship and despite him knowing this he kind of just goes about it and makes a point of kind of almost hurting her feelings in order to be able to just get away from her. But then every time he just keeps coming back to her, uh, well, basically for sex, it's basically implied and eventually for money and sex as he decides that he's going to go when he's going to, after his downfall, he's going to Thailand for Laura. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, he presented that a little differently than how it actually how it actually a little different. Yeah, well, you know, he's no, yeah, exactly. And so one of the things with Kelly that happens, it seems like he kind of is with her when he thinks that's the best he can do. But then when he goes to New York, he comes back and brags about, and it, it ends up again. This is kind of like a similar to misrepresentation will be like you know the woman from survivor or whatever i went out with someone who looked just like her <laughs> yeah and then he lies about karen i assume asking yeah. him out and and so kelly what he where you see some of his meanness and also where it seems about vanity is when she is dating daryl who doesn't seem that interested in the relationship Darryl. and ryan's really into it when mm-hmm. it's an affair and then she breaks up with him for Ryan. She's thrilled about this. And Ryan just is like really let down that he did not care at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because it was very much about like <laughs> I had this guy's girlfriend or whatever. Yeah, he couldn't. Well, he and he couldn't stand that she was dating. So, he, you know, he can't be with her and then can't stand. Then he writes the, the, the text for her expecting, you know, expecting the drama of, you know, like the fight over him. But there was like, it's cool. He goes, well, yeah. that's what he said. And then he's, you know, he happily goes into his truck. And uh, you can see that, you see that, you see them in the room being interviewed with the camera. And, and Kelly's like, you know, they tried to keep us away, but they couldn't. And he goes, I, I decided that for whatever reason, I just can't do any better than Kelly. And she's like, ah. <laughs> but it really means like, for whatever reason, I cannot just get over this person that I consider to be below me. But yet, I continue to come back from abuse. 
And it really is very reminiscent of abuse, basically abusive relationships. And you see it doesn't get that bad with Ryan, but on people who are stalkers and they engage in abusive relationships and they use the person that they put him down. They cheat on them all the time. They accuse them of cheating. But then when the other person decides to finally leave them, they cannot take that uh, narcissistic injury. And then they come back and then start harassing or stalking the person. Fortunately, it doesn't get, you know, that would not be as funny in the office. But with Ryan, it's kind of like the milder version of that is that that he cannot leave Kelly B despite the fact that he really sees himself as being above her. And, you know, he takes every opportunity to show her how much more superior he is into her intellectual. That's a great point. It's like he can't part with her admiration of him or something like that. You should be a psychologist. <laughs> Maybe I'll look into into that. And I I think that one of the there are two other points that I I really like that you mentioned. Well, I liked all the points, but that we haven't gotten to yet. One is that you talked about how he has a substance use problem and how that's a correlative narcissism. Could you say a little bit more about that? Yeah. So that, that's a, that's a newer um, kind of newer line of reason people have not looked at it as much into it, but. Um, there's some suggestion that uh, substance use is correlated with narcissism, and in particular with the ones that are more the vulnerable aspects as it comes to dealing to dealing with negative emotions. So, for example, alcohol abuse tends to be associated with some narcissistic traits, but there's also grandiose narcissism, and those traits tend to be associated with higher sensation seeking, and sensation seeking refers to a constant, a series of constructs. Related to basically that, I mean, I have to give the psychologists sometimes some of the constructs are named very, very self-explanatory. Instead of sensation is that, it's people who tend to enjoy ex- different experiences and sensations for their own sake. And they include the feeling of, uh, so some people engage in like extreme sports, but other people engage in feeling of being high from substances uh, as well. And that tends to be cor- cor- oops, with uh, grandiose narcissism and uh, it's a perfect example of an environment and the stress atmosphere's interaction that Ryan, while he's in Scranton, in a boring little mill, um, steel mill town, in a failing paper company, he's just focused on his goal. He's, he's very goal-oriented in that kind of adaptive aspect of narcissism, that you are goal-driven. But then once he gets to New York and all of a sudden all this, you know, the world opens up to him and these uh, apparent earthly pleasures, then he go, gives into the sensation-seeking and then start, develops a cocaine habit. What do we know about treatment for narcissistic characteristics? That is a good question because some of the literature suggests that they seldom come into treatment unless there's a there's personal crisis, and that tends to occur with more the vulnerable ones. The grandiose ones tend to do so less because... They think they're great and the problems with everybody else. I know there's actually less research on this because uh, there's been more focus on uh, in the cluster B personality disorders for borderline. But some of those same approaches using CBT and DBT approaches in order to help the person reduce their impulsivity and not have impulsive, rea- uh, emotionally driven reactions are helpful in addition to trying to moderate the pathological need for uh, admiration of others. Uh, but I don't. I'm aware of, and I, although I haven't looked at literature in a while, there's not really. There hasn't been a, a good trial, and I, you know, maybe of our listeners could prove us wrong. No, I, I was thinking the same thing. I like if you look at the uh, research-supported treatments website that lists things 
in terms of large-scale clinical trial, it's hard to find any. There are books written, and right there are chapters, and sometimes case studies or case series, but but nothing of the on the order of like DBT or, mm-hmm. or dialectical behavior therapy for borderline personality disorder or some of the things that have been tested with antisocial personality disorder. Anyone I've seen that has been self-referred for therapy that seems to have characteristics of narcissistic personality disorder, it has been the more vulnerable type where they're prone to depression or they have trouble with their interpersonal relationships, but there's more of a almost avoidant or social anxiety feel. Um, They feel they're kind of special, but they're also worried that's not going to be confirmed and they're going to feel really bad because then there is motivation to do things differently. But that's anecdotal. Yeah. Or if there's a, or if there's a narcissistic injury of some sort, like you know they're, they're they lose the job that they thought they deserved, or their you know the girlfriend finally got fed up with whatever, and they leave them, and all of a sudden they this realization that they may not be as great as they are. But you're right. I, I, there's and I think that part of the difficulty is that it's it's just one of those disorders that we tend to see it more as a as an, an associated disorder with something else. So if they come in with substance use disorder, we focus on substance use disorder rather than the personality traits. So it's it would be difficult to have trials and as as much as there are with dbt although for border uh, it has been suggested that the kind of the fluctuating self-esteem and impulsivity associated with uh, with borderline personality disorder may be and some of the data kind of bears this out that it's related to narcissistic personality disorder so in thinking like personality like the personality circumplex vulnerable vulnerable narcissism kind of being right next to the edge to borderline impulsivity and uh, uh, affective liability Oh, interesting. So some of those things could help. It seems like people with borderline personality disorder, in my experience, really want treatment. They're distressed. With individuals who have more narcissistic traits, like you were saying, that's not particularly the case. But if it's framed as in a goal, like you're not, you know, you're your partner is having problems with you or you got fired from your job or you want this and what you've been doing hasn't been working rather than, you know, it's wrong that, you know, but this is speculation. Like you said, these haven't been, at least that I know of and correct me if I'm wrong listeners, but any formalized clinical Mm -hmm. trial for these things. I don't, I don't think so. And I've also seen the other side is that you see a lot of grand, the grandiose narcissism that I've seen in clinical settings have been, more people that have gotten in trouble for engaging in antisocial behavior. So at some, like Ryan, they, at some point they break the law and they end up in jail or something like that and then they end up in treatment and it very quickly becomes apparent that this person sees themselves as special and unique and above others, even though they may have, they, they may not be. I, I remember specifically a few guys that I did my internship at a federal prison and that was a lot of fun and there was a lot of florid personalities there. and. There was one particular guy that drove even though a person bananas and he carried himself like he was like a little lord and a prince. And he had most of the guys in their lockers that had pictures of their kids or their families, stuff like that, or maybe cars. But he this dude had only pictures of himself. And this was, you know, well before the advent of Facebook was so the, the penetration was everywhere that and he was just like a shrine to himself, his own locker. And he always just carried himself and thought that he was better. And all the other prisoners would often during community treatment hours, basically, uh, they would confront him about it, and he just had a hard time seeing that. And even though he did not graduate high school, he was a dead dad, was in prison. Had you know, as the other person said, you could, you basically kind of failed at life, and you're below average. I do remember he when he was presented with that information, he came in. He's like, he says they messed them up 
because he said, you know, what if I am better than everybody else? I was like, wow, man, that's, that's intense. I think that idea that it could be impervious to other information or something like that seems like on one hand, it might feel a little bit better, but it doesn't really motivate changes mm-hmm. that could make the person's life improve or other people's lives. That's why I kind of like the dimensional models, besides the fact that they seem to more accurately reflect how people are, is that the idea is, like, you're not going to turn someone who's super arrogant into the most humble person in the world, but maybe you can have some skills where they can rein it in a little bit so it's not as much of an issue. Exactly. Well, anything else we should talk about before we wrap up today? This very interesting... Hopefully interesting. Yeah, hopefully entertaining episode. (laughs) (laughs) That is the main goal. That is the goal. And also, Leo likes to say before he's on our episodes, he likes to tell me this is going to be the one that gets us the sponsors from Blue Apron. This is (laughs) Or whatever the big podcast are. The DNDs, if you are listening to this podcast... Yo, get ready for the get ready for the office bed. <laughs> Blue Apron, Casper mattresses. <laughs> yep, those are those are the big ones. Adam, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on. Thank you. I'm glad this. It was so fun. Yeah, this was a really great idea, and it was it was fun to talk about all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much, Leo. Where can people? Find out more about your work. The Pacific website, the Pacific University. It's like if you put for psychology, Pacific University, and me, it'll have most of my latest stuff there. Yeah, that's probably the easiest way to find me. I'll link to that. Awesome. Well, thank you, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Jedi Council Podcast, a member of the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. You can find more information about our podcast or blog at www.jedi-council.com. If you would like to support the Jedi Council Podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Jedi Council. The views expressed on this podcast are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers. Additionally, This podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only and should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you're struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help.